How's it going, everybody? This is George Carvalho here. I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning. If you're tuning in, we're excited that we're here online. Even though we're not together as one um, per body here together, we're here as one body in one spirit. We're here one church, um, united from different places. Maybe, maybe you're watching at home today. Maybe you're watching uh, maybe at work or maybe later on this week you're tuning in. Um, man, we greet you from on behalf of my wife and I today. Is actually our anniversary, so happy anniversary to the both of us. We're excited that God has been doing great things in our lives over the past few years. So today's a great day. We have Mark's gospel here in front of us. We're excited to jump into the book of Mark once again. Um, but before we start, why don't you just share this message right now with someone? Um, like it, heart it, give it some love, give it a care. Um, if you want to give a shout out to someone, tag somebody, go ahead and do do so right now. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 9, um, we've been on a series of Mark for the past, um, almost the past year, going through this book chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and literally dissecting every single event that's happening in the book of Mark. Uh, Mark wrote through to a, a predominantly Gentile audience, Gentile Christians that lived in Rome during this time. So it's a, a predominantly secular society that he's speaking to here in this particular um, part of, of this scripture verse that we're going to study here. We're going to learn some things that Mark is telling in us through the lens of Jesus, through the words of Jesus, of how we should live and how we should be as a church and as a people of God. So if you have your Bibles, Mark 9, verse 30 through 37. It says like this, they left that place and they passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Oftentimes, Jesus, he took the time to spend time with his disciples. We know um, because we've studied that he, he chose 12 disciples, different types of men, from fishermen to tax collectors to zealots, and he brings them along this journey for the, la for the next, um, for three years. So he, he spends time with them. And sometimes he would gather alone with them, away from the crowd, away from from people in order to teach them lessons. And this is what he says to them, verse 31. He says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. He says, but they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked him, what were you arguing about on the road? So they finally got to the place where they, want to and they wanted to go to, and they were on the road, and they had been arguing. He says, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, verse 35, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And we'll stop right there as well. But I want to give you a title this morning. If you're following along, if you're tuning in, you want to take some notes. But in order to remember this message, uh, simply put, the title is, The First Shall Be Last. 
the first shall be last. Um, I remember watching Talladega Nights, which I used to think was one of the funniest movies of all time. If you remember Ricky Bobby and his dad tells them this thing, is like, if you're not first, you're last. And it was always that thing, that, that mentality that he grew up with, knowing he would say that at the end of every, every race. If you ain't first, you're last. And until later on in life, he could be second or third or something else. And 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 uh, you you remember those moments of victory Victory, maybe you've played sports and maybe you were in the playoffs or maybe you were in soccer or basketball or football. And there's always this, this propensity or this, this passion to want to be first before everyone else. I mean, we, we love to be first in everything. I mean, we want to be first in sports. We want to be number one in, and to have the best football team, the best basketball team. We want to be one at everything. I mean, we, we right now the NBA playoffs are going on right now, and, and 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 MLB is back, and we're believing that our teams will be the first before everyone else, above everyone else, and there's this passion that drives us to be first for everything. We want to be first in everything. We want to be the first ones to have this. Or we want to be the first ones. And we compete against our friends oftentimes. We compete against our, our brothers and siblings to try to be first in something. To first to finish school. First to get married. First to get a house. First to have kids. First to be something else. But here's what Jesus is saying is something different. You see, oftentimes what Jesus does is he teaches us a culture that is countercultural to the time of that day, which is even still to this day, 2,000 years later, it's still countercultural to the way of life of others. See, what Jesus does, he sits us down and he uses examples and tells us there are some things that have to change from the way that we think, the way that we were raised the way we've always been brought up about being first. And so what Jesus is saying is if you really want to be my disciple, there's a difference that has to take place. You're not like everyone else. You're not like every other church. You're not like every other Christian. You're not like every other human being or every other person. Your marriage is not like every other marriage. There's a difference between the way you are than everyone else that is an upside-down culture an upside-down kingdom that Jesus is professing and proclaiming. He's taking him in this text, in this moment. See, the last time we left off in Mark, Mark, he was sharing with us how Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. They were trying to exorcise a demon out of a young man, but they could not. And so Jesus tells them, the only way you can do this is through prayer, which represents dependency on God and communication with our Father. Communication and spiritual dependency and urgency for God to do what only he can do. And so now this is another time where he begins to talk. And he begins to starts off by talking the second time in Mark's gospel about his death. He begins to share that he must die, that he must suffer, that he must go through these things, and that he will resurrect three days later. The Bible tells us that the disciples didn't quite understand or quite get what was happening or what Jesus was saying. 
And so I want to tell you a couple of things that Jesus is describing to us of what it means to be last or what it means to really be first or really what it means to be a Christian or a disciple of Christ. Number one, I want to tell you it's about suffering. Now, one of the topics you never hear spoken about in church is the topic of suffering. In fact, I could guarantee you that you can grow up in church your entire life and you will never hear a sermon preached on suffering. I mean, that's simply not the best topic a pastor wants to talk about. We're like, hey, what are we preaching about today? We're talking about suffering. Like, it's not a fun subject to talk about. Yet Jesus addresses the topic quite a bit. Suffering is something that Christians, believe it or not, we have to go through. This is something that we are a part of. We suffer and we believe that if our Jesus suffered and he went through trials and tribulations, it will happen as well. And so here Jesus is directing his disciples to a time then when he will suffer. He will go through persecution, through death, and they don't quite understand it. In fact, they're even too scared to even ask him about it, the Bible tells us. They don't even want to know what it means. They said, no, no, we we don't want to hear about that. We want to hear about the good stuff. But here's what happens to us many times. We're the very same way. We're so scared to, to ask God about what would happen if this doesn't work out. What happens if this pandemic, oh man, even goes extinct? further, if it goes longer, what if the economic crisis even extends longer and harder? What if my presidential candidate doesn't get elected? Will I suffer? Or what if this virus affects me physically and I go into a hospital? Or what if I go to the hospital and I can't even pay the bills? God, what happens here, Lord? What if there's so much civil unrest in society that we can't even leave our houses anymore because we're so scared of what or things that are happening in the world today? What if a hurricane even comes and attacks us and hurts us and we lose everything? What if? And that's the question we always ask. See, Mark 13, 13, he says later on, he says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Where Jesus says, he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Can I tell you, in this life, you will have suffering, you will have trials, you will have tribulation. You're not going to win every game. You're going to lose, and you're going to get frustrated. You're going to have failures. You're going to get laid off. You're going to go through struggles. You're going to go through moments of hurt. You're going to have moments of pain. You'll have miscarriages. You'll have moments of suffering, nights in the hospital, waiting for a donor, a transplant donor to come to you you're going to go through moments of struggle in your life. But Jesus says this himself, there are going to be people that are going to hate you. People are not going to like you because you're a Christian, because you serve God. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Anyone can give an amen to that, that God is on the throne. And despite if things are in my favor or not, I believe God is ultimately in control. And the one who endures to the end will be saved. James 1, 2 says it like this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He didn't say just one kind, but various kinds. 
It says, count it all joy. I mean, what kind of culture is this that Jesus is promoting? What type of civilization thinks this way, that when we have suffering, when we go through struggle, that we can just say it's joy? We can say it's gladness and happiness in the favor of God? That it's God doing this? See, our culture nowadays believes that if things are good, that means God is good. And many times we preach and there's pastors and preachers that will often preach a prosperity gospel that will preach and educate people that if you're following God, you will never have pain. You will never have struggle. Your body will always be healthy. You will always have money in the bank. You will always have gas in your car. You will always be prosperous if you're truly following God. But can I tell you today is that even Jesus himself suffered. Even Jesus himself went through trials and tribulations. Even him went through suffering and he's warning his disciples and yet they don't even want to question it. They don't even want to talk about it. They don't want to hear it. They're saying, let's get on to the next subject. But can I tell you, when we suffer, we suffer well with Jesus. And in moments of problems, in the moments of lack of prosperity, that's where we find God the most. Amen to that. And the moments of hurt and the moments where we don't have anything, that's where we can cling on to God. And Jesus is preaching this countercultural, upside down kingdom that most of us don't get. We don't understand because we've heard it for so long that if you're a Christian, Everything has to be, oh man, beautiful skies and rainbows and money in your pocket. But the reality is, is that moments of trials will come. And in fact, moments of sacrifice will be required of us. Moments where we give more of ourselves than we get back. Moments when we uh, serve others and nothing is reciprocated to us. We will go through moments in our life. And Jesus begins to ask and he says, what are you guys talking about? The disciples are are discussing among themselves. What is it y'all guys are, are quarreling about? And he says, well, we were arguing over who would be the greatest. And these guys are often... Um, what happens with the disciples is that they often think about this, this culture or this kingdom that Jesus is going to establish. They're looking for a political liberator. They're looking for someone that's going to save them from the Roman Empire, from all this oppression that is happening around them. They are Jews, and and they're here, and all they can think about is when are we going to take back the throne? And and they're thinking about splendor. They're thinking about, man, who's going to be on the kingdom? Who's going to get a palace? Who's going to be here with Jesus, next to Jesus, whenever Jesus takes back the throne? They're thinking for an earthly kingdom. And so Jesus says this. He says, anyone who wants to be first must be very last. And the servant of all. There are many concepts in the kingdom of God, like I mentioned, that exhibit 
an upside-down culture or an upside-down kingdom. Up is down, down is up, left is right. Everything is different. Again, the disciples are debating who's the greatest in the kingdom. And, and Jesus says, no, it's not in the way that you think. In fact, if you want to be great, it's about service. You know, in conjunction with their messianic expectation of a political liberator, disciples, they're dreaming of status. They're thinking about honor, power. Um, they would have known about this um, Maccabean revolt that would have happened over 150 years before this time period. And, and they were thinking about moments like that in history that maybe they could be living history themselves. And they would be worthy of honor and status. And they, they would be the ones recognized for liberating their fellow countrymen and the people of, of Israel and taking back the throne. Um, that's the concept. But Jesus says, whoever wants to be first shall be last and a servant of all. Very different culture, very different way of thinking. Um, oftentimes in leadership, I, I think that's the same thing that we have to remember. A lot of times we we epitomize leaders or we, we dream or we fantasize of the day that we'll be a boss or a CEO or we'll be a president of an organization or maybe you want to be a pastor or a leader or you, or you want to be at the top of any type of organization. And as I've had the privilege um, to serve in ministry the last um, 10, 12 years of my life, um, I've been overseeing different organizations, but even as an overseer, I'm still under people. Um, as I'm over authority, I still place myself under authority of other people and first and foremost of God. I don't lead myself. Even as a pastor, people might say, well, George, you're at the top. You can, you can do as you want. No, I don't. I still submit myself to everyone who calls this church home. And, of course, I have a, a realm of pastors that keep me accountable that, that if I were to want to do things on my own and do things out of what God has ordained or, what, or, out of a or pursue a different lifestyle than is becoming of me as a minister, then there's people that would keep me in check. And, 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 and us as leaders, it, we, ultimately we become servants of everyone. That's who we are. Ultimately, that's what it is. And every time I talk to a young person that wants to pursue ministry or leadership, I remind them often that leadership is, starts with servanthood. It starts with serving and giving and honoring other people before you. It, it talks about, it's about serving other people, even those who are younger than you or those who are older or people on the same page or the same age as you. It's about giving yourself away. One of the principles that I've, I've taught in leadership for years is that, that leadership is definitely an upside down culture. And um, if you could, if I could illustrate this for you, I'll say it like this. Um, I always tell people to think about a pyramid or draw a pyramid. And in that pyramid, um, at the very bottom of the pyramid is everybody. All, everybody who calls himself a Christian or someone who might be a leader or want to be a leader at the very bottom. 
And as you go up into that pyramid, it becomes narrower, the pyramid. Um, and, and, and as you go up, there's less people in that, in, in that tier. And as you go up in leadership, in fact, at the very bottom, there's a lot more people. And there's a lot more freedom of what you can do in leadership. But as you move up in leadership and, and that pyramid becomes narrower, that peak becomes even narrower, there's less you can do. And in fact, there's less people at the top. And that's what happens in leadership in any organization, whether you're a CEO, a president, or an owner, um, whatever area you're in, as you go up in leadership, it's not this idea of if the higher I get up, the more power I have, the more I can do. In fact, as you go up in leadership, you surrender freedoms and you give things away that you didn't want to give away. And time is sacrificed, vacations are sacrificed, um, freedoms are sacrificed. Sacrifice, things that you have liberty to do are sacrificed. And as you go up, you say no to certain things that at the very bottom you had the freedom to do so. But as you went up, you sacrificed and you gave more of. There's a lot of things biblically and scripturally that I can do at the bottom. There's a lot of things I can get by as I, as I live at the bottom of the pyramid. But as I pursue to become a leader and to be an example for families, as I pursue my wife and I to be examples of marriages, as we pursue to be examples of holiness, as we pursue to be examples of disciples, there are certain things that we do not do or we don't allow into our life. There are certain things we don't entertain ourselves with that at the bottom it might be okay, it might be, uh, it might be a sustainable, but as we go up in leadership, we learn to sacrifice. We learn to sacrifice and we give certain things away. Are you hearing what I'm saying this, this morning? Are you hearing what I'm telling you right now? If you want to be great, you're going to have to sacrifice and you're going to learn how to serve some people. And if you want God to use you, it begins with you sacrificing and serving and giving God everything you've got. Some people say, man, I want to be used by God. I want God to do things in me. I want to see myself preach. I want to travel the world. Can I tell you, it begins with sacrificing. It begins with dying to yourself and abandoning who you are in order to see God move in you, in order to be used by God. And the more you give up, the more God uses you. What I've realized in life is every time I've, I've, I've excelled or have gone to another level of leadership, it's always required another level of myself to be given up whether it was my pride or my opportunities that I had or, or dreams that I personally envisioned. Every time that God took me to another level of leadership or another level of influence, it required another level of sacrifice, even with us being pastors. I mean, we, we coming into this, um, we love pastoring people. We love this past journey as a year but it has required more of us than ever before having people that we're accountable to. And we serve and we love every single one of you guys that are watching today. We passionately care about you and we love you and pray for you. 
but it requires more and more. And as this church grows, this level of sacrifice not only has to increase with myself, but it increases with you as well. As God brings more people, he's looking for more people who are willing to serve and to give and says, I don't want to be first, but let me be last and I will serve for everyone else. One of my guidelines, one of the things I want out of people in this church is that we would find more leaders who would be servants. We don't need people that just want a title. We need servants. We need people that are willing to serve. We have so many leadership conferences all around. We need conferences that teach about service and giving ourselves away to people. We need people that are willing to sacrifice. We need people that are willing to give. We need people who are willing to uh, give out of their finances or their money, not so that we could be first in anything. So that we could get a prize. No, it's so that we can help other people and we can serve our community and, and serve the world. I'm impressed and amazed that what our church is able to do through missions. Last week we had a missionary and I'm thankful that some people gave. But there's so much more that is left to be done. What would happen if everyone knew how to serve and give more abundantly and more than ever before? Not so that we can be honored or be recognized by anyone. No, it's so that we could serve and so that the first will be last and the last will be first Luke 10 27 Jesus told us this is it love the Lord your God with all your heart your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself this is the commandments that we are to follow as a church See, I tell young people, it's not about, man, who has the most Instagram followers or the most likes or the most engagement or the most people watching your videos. No, the mark of a true Christian, the mark of a true disciple is not what the one who wins the most. The mark of a true disciple is the one who serves the most. Are we people of service today? Number three, it's about our status. It's about our status. Verse 37, he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children by name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. See, Jesus takes a child. And he takes a child before the 12, and he takes him as an example of discipleship. And the fact um, that he takes a child is a very important thing. If you really pay attention to history in this time period, children in the ancient world were often seen as unimportant, lowly, marginalized. Uh, many children, if they had an illness or a disease or a disability, they were often cast away to be orphans, um, to be beggars. Um, the viewpoint of children was ultimately very low. There was a low status in society for children. Jesus is pointing out the fact that caring for people of lowly status should be priority for us. Oftentimes in the Gospels, Jesus shares occasions and moments where he highlights the importance of caring for people who are less fortunate than us, people who cannot reciprocate what we can give them. 
He often points out times of inviting blind, lame, uh, paralyzed people to accompany us, accompany us to our table, to our house. And here he points out children. I mean, one of the words in Aramaic, it's interesting because there's a play on words of what Jesus says because one word in Aramaic that he uses, uh, meaning child, also refers to the word servants. And so this play on words of him talking about servants, and then he points out, hey, there's a kid walk right here. Let me just, let me grab him. And, he, and that's what Jesus does. He grabs his little kid, and he says, this, speaking of service, you see this kid that most of society wouldn't even care about, little rascal, little kid, just walking by. Our status should be preoccupied of people with lower status than we are. In fact, our status, our heart should be passionate about people who can't care, who can't reciprocate behavior. They're not as, as, as highly important as we are. See, the disciples are, are to identify themselves. He's telling them to identify themselves with children. And become like the little ones, become like children who have no basis for pretensions to greatness. You guys are thinking about greatness. These, these kids are not thinking about any of that. He says to receive a child here is so important. Because if you receive him, you're receiving not just me, but the one who sent me. You're receiving God as well. And what Jesus is saying, he's, he's bringing these children and he's giving an importance to, to children like never before. That's never been seen in their society, never been seen in this culture before. There's an importance of children. He says the status of children, it, it, it's, it's as low as could possibly be. But if you care about these children, you ultimately care about me. And if you're willing to serve these kids, you're, will, you're doing great, abundant things in, in, for the kingdom. What are some qualities that children maybe have that Jesus is instructing us to admire? I want to tell you three qualities, you know, some subpoints here. One, children have a childlike trust. You know what that means, you know, that, that trust where you're willing to trust without even having um, to be a skeptic or without even having to see proof of anything. You have that childlike wonder of, of, of yes, I, I trust you. And I think that's what Jesus is, is telling his disciples. Would you, will you trust me like these kids would trust me, would follow me and be part? I mean, remember when you were a kid and you would just believe. Some of you, I remember, you know, some kids were very gullible that you just believe whatever and there was a sense of trust and you would trust your parents if they told you something you would trust your teacher and you would take it you, you would take whatever they said as valid and that's what Jesus is reminding us of of being like a child number two an inexperienced amazement Remember as a kid when you would first go to, first time you ever went to a theme park, I remember going to Astroworld as a kid, and, and you were just amazed. I remember going to Disney World, and you were just like, wow, like your eyes are open, and everything fascinated you. If you saw it on TV, you thought it was amazing. I mean, I would see commercials, and I'm like, I got to buy that. Man, look at that. I seen on TV, like all this cool stuff, and you had this wonder, an amazement. 
Could we be like this where we would just uh, stand in awe at the presence of God and what God is doing and have an amazement? Number three, a dependency on parents. See, children can't sustain themselves. I mean, thank God that, you know, as a child, we were not forced into um, into having to fend for ourselves. But from a young age, we had someone that fed us through with a bottle and, with, and then with baby food. And as we got older, a little more food. And some people, a lot more food, you know. But, you know, as a kid, I mean, we're, we're, we're ultimately dependent um, on people to guide us as we begin to crawl, as we begin to walk. And, and we're, we're dependent on, on parental supervision or a guardian of someone around us. And when we would Jesus is alluding to, you see these kids that they're dependent on people or, or an elder or a parent or someone. Could we be the same and dependent on our God where we trust in him? We have an amazement, um, a wonder and awe at our God, and we, we begin to depend on him for everything. You know, I, I follow, um, you know, a lot of people on social media, and I, I, as I scroll through social media the past few weeks, um, I've, I've noticed one of the, the top trends or one of the top hashtags that people have been discussing is um, this save the children. I mean, that's been a very topic discussion, and I, I don't know the full extent of everything. I, you can't ask me about everything. Um, I, can't, I can't keep up with every single um, topic of the week that we're supposed to rally for or against. But I've seen it, and I, and I, I've, I begin to observe a couple things about it, that, that people are concerned more than ever before about children to help them get out of, of human trafficking or sex trafficking or to um, free children of, of child labor or other issues that are abuse. Or, 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 or anything that can happen against children. And our society um, is, is um, believe it or not, we, 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 we still love children. And, we, and, and, and all this comes from this one moment where Jesus is highlighting children in a culture of people who don't admire children. See, we, we can't have hashtags today without Jesus first displaying it 2,000 years ago. We could talk about children all we want and how we care for them, but the importance of it, if it was our Savior that set the trend for this. And he began to seek after people of the most lowly status, children. We love children. My wife, um, she leads our children's ministry here at the church, and every Tuesday night, um, they get together on a Zoom call, and and she has a lot of fun, and um, she she has immersed himse- herself in the world of children's ministry, where that was not her background prior to all of this, but she loves the kids and admires the kids of our church, and I believe our children are not just the future of our church, but that's our current church right now, and one of our goals here is to always, um, as fact, one of our values is always is, is that we're always thinking about our children and our next generation because they will grow up and we want to encourage them more than ever before. The other day, um, my wife, a couple weeks ago, I'll give a quick testimony, an amazing thing. Um, a couple weeks ago, she asked several kids, you know, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And some of these kids um, that are part of our church, and some of them are your own children. Um, you're watching right now, and they're your own children. Some, some of these kids are, haven't had that, 
that education about God uh, from a young age, um, for whatever circumstance. But several of these kids accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, when she began to ask kids, have, do you have a Bible at home? Um, little did, did we ever wonder or ever thought about that. Not a single one of these kids had a Bible um, in their home. I mean, for themselves. They might have had their parents' Bible, but they didn't have their own Bible. And for myself that grew up in church, I mean, I took it for granted. I had Bibles everywhere in my house, many of them under my own name and my own style and my own look and signed to me. Um, I mean, it had my initials on it. And um, our hunger and thirst, and so we, um, a, a great testimony, we actually had, um, I put it on Facebook group um, of, of different pastors that I follow, different people that I know, and I, I just asked, you know, what is a good Bible for kids? I mean, what, what, I mean, we want something that, that looks appealing to them. We want it to look like something that they would actually want to read. And so an awesome testimony is that I, I put it in within an hour, I had a pastor that I had never met before, didn't know him, never seen him before, from, but from another state, from the state of Washington, he said, you know what, God is leading me to buy Bibles for your church, for all the kids that need one. And so he sent us even a case of Bibles, and you can, you can see the picture of the case of Bibles there, how beautiful and how awesome is that? the caring for our children. And we have a passion here to love and to care for our children here and our next generation. If you have kids and they need a Bible and they need to know more about God, I want them to be part of our Zoom groups and what we have going on here at this church. But we couldn't have this, what I'm telling you right now, without this moment with Jesus, where Jesus put before everyone else and said, if you welcome this kid, this child, you're welcoming not just me, but the one who sent me. See, the reality of what discipleship is and what discipleship is about and what really being a follower about Christ is, is seeking after people. People who are of a different status than you. See, this upside down culture this upside-down kingdom is us looking for those who can never pay anything back and that we would be a, ser a servants. And if, if we, even if we have to suffer and even if we have to sacrifice and even if we have to give everything for those of a different status, then so be it. You see, I want to be a church that's more consumed about others than ourselves. The disciples had it all confused. They wanted to know who was the greatest. And Jesus flips it on them and says, no, this child is the one who's even greater. That we would focus on the next generation. I, I want to be a church that is consumed and is passionate for those who are Maybe not on our status. Maybe not on our level of income. Maybe they're not on our level of education. Maybe they're not on our level of, of, of where we were born or, or where we lived. 
maybe that we, I want to be a church that focuses on people that are different, people of different skin tone, people from a different color, different tongue or language. That's, I, I want to focus on people. And I want a church, a church of service. When we come to Vibe, I, I, I want people to see that there's people that are willing to serve and love. I don't want people that are consumed with who has a title. Who is the best? No, what I'm consumed about is, what I'm concerned about is who wants to serve. I'm going to ask you today, if you're here listening to this right now, if, you're, if you feel from God that you want to serve in this church, or maybe you're already serving and you still want to, you want to reaffirm that serving, why don't you just type it in that comment and say, God, I'm here to serve. God, I'm here to serve. God, I'm here to give you my life. And here I am, God, I'm here. And the first shall be last. And the last shall be first. Let's pray. Father God, right now, God, we come before you, God, lowly. God, we, we diminish who we think we are. John says that I must decrease so that I might increase or that he might increase in me. And so today that's what I want to do, God. I want to serve you. I want to give you everything. If you're here listening right now, perhaps you haven't surrendered your life to God and you haven't given your life to him, I'm going to invite you to just type in a comment saying, I need Jesus. I need him. Maybe you have a petition. Maybe something you need prayer for. Write it down in the comments. We want to pray. Or you can send us a private message. We will pray for you today. But today, God, we come before you as humble servants. We don't come entitled. We don't come saying we're going to, we deserve this or we deserve that. No, God, we come, God, as a child. God, we want to be in awe of you. We want to have a trust in you as a child. And you're our father. And we know that you're in control of, all, of it all. In your name we pray, amen.